You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey there. What's going on, you wonderful, wonderful people? I want to take a couple minutes to tell you about Gun Street Wiring Shop. Gun Street Wiring Shop? Yes. You got an electric guitar, most likely. If you're listening to this and you don't have an electric guitar, I'll be very, very surprised. But if you do, and you, you know, over the years, things tend to get a little iffy. You know, you, your pots wear out, things get a little scratchy, or maybe you just want some more tonal options out of your same instrument. Maybe you want to try some out-of-phase stuff. Maybe you want to try who knows what. Well, Gun Street Wiring Shop are the guys to make it happen. You go to GunStreetWiringShop.com, you can see they've got some standard, uh, you know, call it vintage-style wiring harnesses and some updated ones and et cetera, et cetera. But they also do custom work, and that's what kind of sets them apart. They can do just about anything that you can think of. As a matter of fact, um, on the Patreon episode that corresponds with this one, we talked about my good friend Justin Porter's Schecter Ultra 3 that had some seriously funky stuff going on, and the stock wiring was starting to fail, bad switches, and blah, 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 blah. Cool sounding guitar, but had funky wiring. Well, I know that Sean just got him all dialed in on his Schecter Ultra 3, which is by no means a traditionally wired instrument, so they can get you what you need. Go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Crazy attention to detail, excellent customer service, and almost endless options. I also want to take a few minutes to talk to you about Sinusoid. The Soid Boys have been with us for a long time, and there's good reason for that. They make the best cables in the business and offer the best customer support. They also have a 100-year warranty, because unless you are some sort of undead nightmare creature thing, that's going to last you your lifetime. So... Go to sinusoid.com and check out their sliver. I've talked about the slivers a lot because I think I think it's my favorite product that, from them that I've I've messed with because it's a truly unique um, patch cable. It's very very small, very 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 small, like unbelievably small, and it's soldered, so the reliability is much much better. And I personally know some touring musicians in. Uh, pretty well-known bands that are using the slivers, uh, and they've definitely stood up to the rigors of the road. Uh, failure rates have went down, and they were able to squeeze more pedals on their pedal board, and isn't that what it's all about? Of course it is. What else would it be about? Like, playing ability? No. It's all about more pedals on the board. So go to sinusoid.com, check out the sliver, and you will be very, very glad you did. Sinusoid.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. With me today, I have Chad Jennings from Jennings Guitars. How's it going? It's going good, man. I mean, we both had a mini heart attack because we thought we were being nuked. Oh, but, man. You know, thankfully, that's not the case. Nope. Just a test. Uh, we were getting ready to record, and a lot of you listeners probably got the same alert. All of a sudden, on the phones, we both got, like, presidential alert. 
And I was like, I've never seen a presidential alert on my phone before. Um, I don't know what this is. And it was just a, a test, apparently. So we're all still here. We're recording and we're not our, like we're not glowing in the dark. So I guess that's a good sign. <laughs> oh, man. I was recording a podcast one time and um, like a jet, like a fighter jet um, went lower than I've ever seen right above my house, which they don't normally even come over here. But it was like super low and buzzed us. And I was like, uh, what's going on? So that was a little bit awkward. Well, not the first time I thought we were getting nuked (laughs) pre podcast. Well, I'm just going to warn you, it's possible. Uh, there's a Air Force base probably about, I don't know, five miles from my shop. So every once in a while, we get little flight days out here. So, But I think we're good today. You get buzzed by a bomber or two? Or 10 or 15. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Nice. Well, let's get uh, let's get into it. Um, I've seen your guitars around, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners have, and they look beautiful. Thank you. Um, but why don't you, um, why don't we dig into like the classic, your, what's your musical backstory? How'd you get to making guitars in the first place and what's kind of led you to this point? Oh man. So in short, I picked up the guitar, what, like sixth, seventh grade. And my dad had like a Yamaha Costco electric guitar, started playing that. And then, uh, come eighth grade, we had a science fair project to build something or explain a process. And I was going to build a Kleenex box guitar, you know, a Kleenex box for band strings and basically explain acoustics, you know, but I, I thought school projects were always dumb because you'd build something, put all this time and effort into it, do a report and then throw it away. So I said, dad, I want to build an electric guitar. And he's like, okay. So we got some tools working from my grandfather and, um, bought a book cause YouTube wasn't much of a thing at the time. And I started reading, which is fairly odd for me. And um, before you know it, out came a Gibson SG looking thing that was like an inch and three quarter thick. And um, it played good and it sounded good. Fret wire, meh, I didn't know what I was doing. So fret work (laughs) on it was a joke. There was a truss rod in it. Actually, there is. The guitar still exists and I still play it periodically. But the truss rod is in it, but it does not work. And... um, but yeah, you know, it's got all sorts of funny mojo on it. And um, I remember picking up the one I made more than I was picking up the Gibson SG that I had. And I was like, wait, why does this thing sound better? You know, it doesn't fret every place because the frets are all out of whack. But the overall tone was good. So that kind of got me hooked. And then from there, I just kept tinkering, um, doing guitar repair and um, just doing research kind of just super stoked to learn everything I could and fascinated by all the nuances of like, Oh, you can change nut material, get a different tone and feel. You can change the thickness of the neck, the material. And, you know, just like any nerd would, you just start diving into it. And, uh, yeah. So then come around my freshman year of college, uh, Devin Murdoch, who works with me currently, um, asked for a bass and I was like, well, sure. And then before we knew it, other friends were asking for guitars and, um, mainly Fender copies at that time. But yeah, that's basically the rough backstory. As far as music playing goes, um, I w- was more of a guitar nerd. I played in a band for a short while for some tours, but 
nothing nothing major. I spent more time in the shop than playing guitar, honestly. What kind of music were you playing in that band? Um, man, if I were to give you a point of reference, it would be a thrice-ist, thrice, thrice-ish uh, screamo band um, called Matter, and they were actually set up to go on tour with Thrice, and then uh, the band fell apart, so bummer oh man yeah my favorite band i know <laughs> both of us man. oh ah so good um well that would have been a that would have been a trip what year approximately was was this uh i could have it wrong but it was like 13 2013 2014 maybe 2015 oh, wow. so it was it was like the not late that long ago. ago yeah no not too long ago but well that's just, pretty cool just didn't work out so I was mainly just filling musician for them to go on a few tours when they would need me. But um, yeah, they're rad guys. I'm gonna have to look them up. That sounds that sounds like a good time. Yeah, but it's always more about the building for you. It was always more about the building. And what um, did yeah. you have? I mean, you were you said you were reading books and stuff, but did you have any mentors or or anybody helping you out other than your dad? Um. Not really. Uh, I did as much research as I could on the internet. Like the only thing I, I grew up building RC cars from like kits, like the fast ones and like the gas powered ones. So mm-hmm. between that bicycles, motorcycles, I had like a very technical, uh, I guess grasp on things technically. And, um, the only thing I built out of wood up until this point was a Pinewood Derby car. So I'm like, dad, I'm going to do this. And he's like, all right, you know how to use the tools. So I just kind of went for it and go for it. Right. And you know, I'm what 13, 14 at the time. And I was just kind of perplexed that it actually worked when I was done, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so no real mentors. I did take back in like 2012 and 13 and 14. I worked with two private luthiers building acoustic instruments and I went to Gallup school of luthery. So that's where I guess my mentoring came in. But up till that point, I was just self-taught and just, for lack of better words, winging it. <laughs> how, uh, how valuable was that Luthery school? Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that do those. And then there's also a lot of guys that apprentice under other builders and some guys like that are just primarily self-taught. How, how valuable do you think that was for you? Um, I think it's kind of like a, a two stage value for me. Um, so I went with experience, uh, and I would say the course at the, the beginning half was definitely tailored to like, okay, let's teach people who know nothing about building or repairing or setting up guitars. Let's get them to build a kind of like a kick guitar. And then you go to building an acoustic guitar. And, um, so for me went over a lot of stuff that I knew, but I chose to focus in really hard on stepping up my quality and training my eye and even ear to build better instruments. And um, so that helped me a lot. Also, I got a certificate, which has been used huge as far as like running repair business locally. Um, Cause people see my certificate for guitar building and repair. And it's huge when you're a younger guy and someone brings in like a vintage Martin, they're like, Oh, how do I know you're not going to mess it up? You know? So <laughs> yeah. How, how old are you? I am 27 as of last month. Oh man, I'm yeah. I uh, I just hit thirty this year, yeah, and I'm like starting to, I I'm starting to find like in my last job and career, 
I I've been working full time since I was 16. And so I, I ran into basically, I was always the young pup in whatever, wherever I was working. It didn't matter. Um, and I was treated as such sometimes. And it was like, it was like, I'm 25. Like I'm not like a, a child, but now I'm starting to run into a little bit of the reverse where it's like, wait, I'm actually older than some of these people that I'm talking to. Uh Oh, what's yeah. happening? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a role shift for you. Yeah. I'm not like, I still don't feel old at all. I still feel like a teenager, but, um, you know, and somebody's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm 25. I'm like, oh, I was, Oh, I'm not, I'm not 25 anymore. What happened? When did that happen? Right. It's a weird, uh, it's a weird thing. I don't feel any different, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm also in a really weird state. Um, not that this makes any sense in the context of the conversation, but um, where people, at least people who don't know me, can't generally tell. They don't know how old I am. Yeah. They either think I'm way younger or way older. It's really bizarre. I'm like, I think I look like a late 20s, early 30s guy, but apparently some people think I'm in high school. It's a very bizarre situation. <laughs> that sounds like my wife, man. She used to run youth group uh, at a church that we got to and like when they'd go to big camps, they'd be like, come on, come with us. She's like, no, I'm the leader. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, yeah, or but I mean, or people think I'm older. I, I get both sides of the equation. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's a weird yeah. age is a weird thing, I guess. It's just a number. Who cares? Exactly. There, there's plenty. But that of- is an interesting note that you said, though, about that. I, I never really thought about it. But yeah, if I walked into a shop with like a vintage Martin, and was like and there was a younger guy. I would that's not and this isn't a good thing. I would mentally go, ah, I want somebody who's been around the block. But you're right exactly. in that. In that uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I knew I needed to get that. Um to get the shop to where I wanted it and to to do local repair business. I'm starting to phase most of that repair work out now. Um, but, you know, when you start out, you got to do a little bit of everything to kind of make it happen. You know, some guys are super totally. fortunate to, I guess, get just sales off the bat. And I, I think a lot of those guys started in bands or really heavy in the scene at some level. So they're able to pick a niche audience and kind of press into it where I'm kind of going the opposite direction. I'm almost starting more as a brand um, versus having an in anywhere. So I'm trying to develop those relationships um, really heavy uh, where a lot of guys had some pre-existing. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's and you can probably speak to this more than I can. But outside looking in, selling a new brand of high end guitar seems like a really difficult task. Uh, these days because a there's the established brands and b there are so many really good builders out there like cutting through seems exceedingly difficult i mean everyone has a bigger microphone via the internet but at the same time there's so many people taking advantage of that do you experience that it's it's a little bit difficult to cut through the mix or or how have you approached that i think little bit is very understated it is is hard Um, and what I've heard from most guys and what we're just doing is just being consistent, trying to put stuff out. Um, and I think you and I talked about this, like before we hopped on this combo, it was like, you just got to do a lot of media and a lot of posting and you know, it's hard when you shirt on hands, but 
that's where we're heading and that's what we're doing. And um, sales are slowly picking up. Like I said, I'm slowly phasing out repair work and a few of the other things we do. But um, yeah, you know, I think there's a mental block at 2000 and above for guys when it comes to buying guitar. They get they get really serious. And um, I've heard guys say that under 1500 like definitely under 1000 guys aren't very... They're picky, but they're the money's going to flow out of their pockets more easily. Where if it's like $2,000, you're going to research real, real hard about the brand, the people making them, what you're going to get. Especially at this weird stage in guitar making where and um, guitar sales, like you don't always get to experience it before you buy it. So you're relying on the videos you're watching, the word of mouth you're hearing, and reviews you either read about or, yeah, friends you talk to, stuff like that. So, yeah, to answer your question, it's difficult. And you try to do a lot of different stuff and you wish you could just meet everyone and say, here, try this. But uh, it's not a reality. It is like a, it, it's, it's, it's a real block. And I think that number that you said is, is very accurate. I know for myself as a consumer, like if I'm going to spend that much money, I'm going to probably be pretty confident that what I'm going to get is, you know, is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I, for a long time, I never even bought a guitar that I hadn't played. Um, it wasn't until I, I got my Roni oh, that, wow. that I, that I decided to, you know, get, you know, order a guitar without ever having played one. And it was exactly what you said. Word of mouth, like research, you know, talking to Paul is like, it was a lot to get me to, to make that order. Oh yeah. Um, it's a, it, and, and it turned out fantastic, but you know, there's also, you hear horror stories sometimes. And so that's why I think people are hesitant. And, you know, if you lose 500 bucks, nobody wants to lose 500 bucks, but if you lose two grand, oh, it's yeah. like, Ooh, ouch. That's a, <laughs> and you'd really do lose it. You know, it's like, it's like, this is a pile of garbage, you know, or this, you know, it's, it's kind of a gamble sometimes, but your stuff looks really, really good. And I've heard well, really, really you. good things about it. So yeah, we take a lot of time just, it's the little things that count, like in the boutique world. It's the fret ends, it's the, the rolled fret boards themselves. Obviously, tone is a staple. I think one of the biggest things I've heard across the board from other people who have played them, they're like, dude, your stuff is so consistent. I had this talk with like a studio guy the other night. He's like, I'm like, sometimes I can't tell the difference in the tone woods because the guitar has so much to give already. The tone woods they add stuff for sure. But once you're plugged in through the pickups, it's like when you got good material and a good build quality, there's not that much more room to go up or down with different materials. Does that make sense? Especially when you start with good material. You know, I don't pick up a piece. I I pretty much knock on every single piece of wood before I put it out. And if it's, if it's got a dead thud or a plunk, that's not a good guitar. So that one gets put aside and, you pick the ones that have a good ting or ding or ping quality to them as you knock on them. Some of the kind of reverberates, hopefully like a bell is what you shoot for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it, I, I said this on some older episodes, but I, I remember reading on a forum somewhere um, that some guitars uh, or some, some pieces of wood when, when they, when they grow up, they want to be a guitar. Yeah. And some want to be a park bench. Yep. Unfortunately, some of those park benches get turned into guitars at times. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it's kind of a weird thing. 
some of those park benches should be guitars. <laughs> that's a that's a good point. They probably they probably should. Um, As a guitar nerd, I, I definitely knock on most planks of wood within reason, <laughs> um, and I knock on park benches all the time. And you know they're weathered aged wood usually, and you're just like, wow, that would be awesome if I could just have this. <laughs> Can I just? I'll trade you. I'll yeah. trade you, city. Uh, where are you at? Where, where in, in California are we're you? We're in Camarillo, California. I think the city that everyone knows more is like Ventura, which is um, just right up the street. That's actually where I live. Gotcha. 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 But Camarillo is the shop. Gotcha. So what um, what inspires like your designs? Like they're 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 kind of fendery, but not totally like what where do you get? where do you get some inspiration and how do you approach the actual body shape? Cause besides actually getting a brand off the ground, designing a guitar that looks cool, but not out that still looks like a guitar. Yeah. It seems really, really difficult. It is. <laughs> um, and thank you. I appreciate the comment. Um, kind of, I came from a, clearly a fender background i always enjoyed fenders a lot i like gibsons too but something about a fender always rang better for me um so our goal in designing our guitars were to keep it simple keep it classic um but still keep it unique and stay within what i call the guitar box you know that like people expect to see your guitars occupy a certain re real estate visually and they want them to balance in a certain spot and that's kind of where we took it off from there. And um, I think the end result for both the Voyager and Catalina models were very, very positive. And um, yeah, so with the Voyager clearly went offset and uh, wanted to throw back something jazz master feeling. Um, and then with the Catalina, it was kind of a take on a Gibson ES339, the smaller body, but flat top. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm definitely proud to say it gives the 339 a big run for its money nice so yeah that's good stuff that's that's great did that answer um, your question fully or did you want more out i think of it? So. well i i i was just wondering like i i think you i think you pretty much explained it but i was wondering if there was any um like i don't i couldn't sit down and draw like I, I can I can physically I have the capability of drawing a guitar shape, but I don't have the mental capacity to actually like draw something that was appealing and also looks like a guitar. Yeah. Like I could draw a you know, I could draw a fish and put a neck on it, but that's, totally. that would look stupid. Um, <laughs> so like the, the the guys that can just um, crank out like just really excellent looking designs uh, that are also not a Les Paul or a Telecaster. Yeah. It's always just really impressive to me. It's, I guess, where I was going with it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. I think, like I said before, it's both Fender and Gibson early on, they really nailed down balance and body shape and positioning. And I'm not just talking about weight balance, but visual balance of where the horns sit, how the back end sits, and all that stuff. So I took. I basically literally drew boxes off of the several main designs and had like reference oh, lines. So you have a point of reference to work with and then you're just line blending. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. So when you said guitar box, you literally meant guitar box. Well, 
there is a, a box like people, I guess a mental and theoretical box that people kind of expect you to, to be in for the guitar to look at. But I'm using this box analogy in several different ways. And then I physically also <laughs> created a box around a guitar to draw it. So yeah, that's an, that's an interesting approach. Do you know if that's a, a common thing or, or is that kind of just your thing? I would assume it's common because what it's, it goes back to the, I don't know, philosophy or thought process of like, why reinvent the wheel? You know, I'm not, I'm not sitting down to design the first Telecaster. I'm sitting, I'm sitting down to create a somewhat unique guitar that plays incredible and sounds incredible. And yeah, I I found that that was the best, most efficient way to do that. And yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. It does. Who who are your uh, go to uh, pickups that you use, or do you make your own, or what's your what's your process like for that? So we use Tim McNally of McNally Pickups in Canada. Uh, we connected with Tim, I don't know, a long time ago, and uh, his stuff's unreal. And the ability to custom order every single pickup, because if you've seen, we do a lot of variations of like gold foil, silver foil. I don't know. Most of our pickups are different. They could be like the same model of pickup, but they're going to, they're typically looking different in some way. So he can customize them at a one-off level and they sound unreal. Everyone who plays them is just like, what? So I think I wish Tim had a better name or a bigger name. Uh, The name is great. The quality of the pickups are great. It's just, um, I wish more people knew about them because they're awesome, you know? So yeah. I feel like, and maybe this isn't entirely accurate, but I feel like McNelly is one of the, maybe this is just my perception, but in, in our little world that we occupy, this kind of, you know, boutique industry or whatever, McNelly's one of the guys uh, yeah, that comes right. up a lot. You know, like, it's he's not as big as, like, Lawler, yeah. but he's not been around as long as Lawler either, but I, I feel like I feel like he's pretty consistently, you know, spoken highly of i need to get him on the podcast actually yeah you um, do. but uh uh I, I don't know i think he's 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 definitely one of the dudes as far as as far as my perception is anyway i would agree I've, with I've that. i've never played him but i i see him around a lot yeah and i would agree with that statement i think with our designs and shapes and kind of common folk we run into the they only know the big names they know seymour duncan even get guys who are like Seymour Duncan. Who's that? I'm just like, what? <laughs> but you know, <laughs> as you run into more common folk, not niche boutique guys, they're like, oh, who's pickups? And they they just don't know a whole lot. So McNally is like something that would never cross their world or vocabulary. You know that? Yeah, that's true. We are like super nerds about it. Yeah, so that makes makes sense. Um. Yeah. Do you, do you think, do you run into, so I, I sometimes get, you know, tunnel vision a little bit and I think like, yeah, everybody (laughs) knows, everybody knows Spaceman guitar pedals. Everyone knows Benson amps. Like, I think, I think that for some reason, and that's totally not true. You you, by running the repair stuff, you probably run into a lot more like just non, non guitar boutique nerd guys. I don't know how the, what other word to use. Like, there's a lot of guitar players that have no idea who any of these companies are. Oh yeah, and that's not a bad thing. It's just they didn't dig into it that much, you know. Dude, it's like each age of guitar 
demographic or people. I don't know. They all have their own niches. You know, some of the guys are vintage. I think the kind of the group of people that humor me the most are like the guys that are into the budget guitars that are like really niche into the budget guitars. And then like the guys mm-hmm. that are into the vintage off brand stuff. Like as far as acoustics go, have you ever played like a Goya acoustic? Oh yeah, those, definitely. Those things are incredible. Most of them, mm-hmm. but they're well, like, yeah, they fly I, they, really I liked well. them. And then like what the Tiesco or Tysco? Those guys are. I've funny. never figured out the way to say it. I don't know how to say that. I'm glad I'm not alone. But no, it's everybody's like everyone. I've not heard a definitive answer on how to pronounce. It. I usually say Tisco. Tisco, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. No, literally everyone that's came on, they're like, I don't know how to say it. I think it's Tisco or Tisco or Tiesco. I don't know. It's yeah, whatever. but like, some guys are super niche and into those, and it's just it's hilarious. Yeah. It, and yeah, the guitar is a uh, such a wide ranging thing, and 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 it there again, this could be my tunnel vision coming in, but I they you know they they every couple years there's always this some sort of doom and gloom article that comes out saying the guitar is dead, and it's because uh, guitar center sales are down, Gibson sales are down, X Y Z big brand sales are down, and I feel like that's missing the picture. Um, like the big picture. I, what do you think about that? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head right there. Um, I think similar to the beer industry, like a lot of the niche guys are kind of taking business away from a lot of the bigger brands. So if you're buying mm-hmm. niche, you're definitely not buying, or if you're buying boutique, you're not buying from Guitar Center. You know, if you're buying like custom stuff, you should go and like make or direct in a lot of cases. So. Most of the time, I would I would think. Yeah, and um, yeah, it seems I don't know. I'm making assumptions. I always do that stupidly, <laughs> but it seems like <laughs> I do too. I do too. It seems like these things are very, um, I guess, retailer based. Like they'll do a lot of their polls from retailers and the sales and retailers, but I don't know if they're taking polls from like Benson. They're definitely not taking polls from me or like Cower. You know. Because that's that's a chunk of money that's music business that might not be accounted for in their polls that they're running. I, I think that's one hundred percent. Even some of the, you know, some of the guitar pedal brands and 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 string companies and and all this like there's so much that Guitar Center does not sell all of it. Yeah, like they don't. <laughs> they only and, sell and sales said sells good, which is yeah smart for them but sucks for the rest of us <laughs> well and it's a it's a it's just like you said I, i'm positive that doug cower is not reporting any of his stuff oh yeah like to a industry you know poll i i know that like none of the brands i work with are reporting to anybody so like that's that's all like business small businesses you know that have a decent amount of sales that that no one no one knows about yeah like and is taking directly away from things like Guitar Center. Yeah. Because if you spent $200 on an overdrive from a small manufacturer, you probably didn't go to Guitar Center and buy three boss pedals or whatever. Yep. You just yep. didn't. Um, I wonder, and as you I wonder, and I both know, this is a it's not a huge industry, but there are hundreds, if not thousands, of small companies that don't sell in Guitar Center. 
Oh yeah. It's and I think a quick scroll through Instagram will prove that really heavily. No matter how small or big you are, you know. Like mm-hmm. it seems like everyone's got their own little custom guitar shop. <laughs> but yeah. It's That's fun. one thing about guitar building though. There is a lot of luthiers and a lot of shops out there, but there's um there's even more like techs. Like guys that do repair. Oh yeah. I think it's I think it's much more common to have like several really good repair technicians in a city than it is to have like a brand of guitars. Oh yeah. Well, like basic build principle, build a lifetime guitar, you know? Like in theory, I'm building my guitar so you can keep them for the rest of your life. And that's what we shoot for. That's kind of like a a design filter we run through. So one guitar per 50 years, obviously guys buy, and we all have way more than one guitar, but like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a filter. So like, that makes sense for repair. There should be way more repair guys. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that's true. That's an, that's another thing that ties into the, you know, the quote, like the guitar market, you know, with lower sales or whatever. It's like, well, you know, I have a guitar from 1955 that still plays and sounds awesome. Uh-huh. Like a secondhand market is a is another thing that is huge in this business because almost all of the products were designed to to last for a long time. Even a guitar pedal. Like Oh yeah. You can throw, throw a boss pedal off of a roof, it's still going to work. Yep. Like <laughs> everything is designed to last and if it's not those brands don't succeed. So it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing to I don't know. I just see I see so many guitar players. I know I'm in my bubble here. Yeah, yeah. I see so many guitar players and so many new musicians interested in it and I I just can't fathom a world in which that goes away. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Do you see any like um do you see a lot of younger musicians in your area or do you what is what is your kind of perception on what these darn kids are up to these days? I have no clue what these darn kids are up to. Well, that's for dang sure. <laughs> it doesn't seem like they're playing music as much as they used to, at least in my little city. But, you know, I'm from this area called the Conejo Valley. Um, and I don't know. It's like a lot of the kids just aren't playing guitar anymore. You go to L.A., it's a different story. You know, there's so many people. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like kids are playing guitar as much. How do you, what's your take up there? Um, up here, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I kind of have this cycle theory Yeah. and I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's entirely accurate or not, but this is at least my perception of it. Um, I started playing guitar. My dad, so let me take a step back. My dad always played guitar. Yeah. So growing up, I always seen him playing guitar and I thought I want to do that one day as yeah. a child. And and also, when he was growing up, guitar music was really big. He grew up in the 70s and 80s, and guitar music was obviously huge. And then it kind of dipped down in the in the late 80s. I mean, the hair metal thing took over, and people started getting a little bit disinterested on the whole. And then grunge happened. Yep. Um, and so then it blew back up again. And then after the late 90s, it kind of started diving down. There was still the new metal thing, but it wasn't like this. It didn't, I don't think 
Limp Biscuit inspired a whole new crop of guitar players. I could be wrong, but oh, I, yeah. I don't really think that's the case. Um, and then my generation started, you know, uh, coming of age, so to speak. And that was the uh, post-hardcore, metalcore, emo, pop-punk generation. Yeah. And that got huge in the early 2000s and definitely made me like seriously pick up guitar. Yeah. I I think and I that and now my son is watching me and he's always coming out and wanting to horse around and out in in the in as he calls it the pedal place. The pedal place. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. He's 3. So so it's pretty awesome. That's epic. Um and he uh, he wants to go out there and he watches me and he, you know, he has a guitar and he quote unquote plays it. And I feel like, you know, I am. I mean, I say I don't want to force him like a football dad or something, but I mean, just by me being so passionate about it, it's, it's kind of happening. Um, I, I feel like by the time he's a teenager, there will be some sort of something. Um, I don't know if it'll be a punk revival. I don't know what it'll be, but I feel like there will be some sort of musical movement that his generation gets into that will probably push a lot of them to pick up the instrument again or more often or more of them or something. I don't know. It could be wrong, but it seems like there's this generational cycle that started, you know, way back in the fifties when rock and roll started, you know? So you're almost calling it like an AB cycle of like, First five years, guitar euphoria. Last five years, less than guitar euphoria. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know what, what that is. DJ euphoria. I'm oh, not sure. Oh, man. And then, like, it goes back, it, like, almost as if it resets in the next 10 years. That's what I see. Okay. I, I mean, it just, those are the patterns I'm seeing. And then, all the meanwhile, like, you know, guys like us never stopped playing. Yeah. We never stopped caring about it. So I don't ever see it being like this dominating force uh, where everyone in the world plays guitar. No, but I, I do see it kind of ebbing and flowing fairly consistency consistently. If you look at the history of the electric guitar, I think. Interesting. I'm gonna have to look into this more. We'll see if more parties um, agree with your, with your philosophy. I'm sure this will generate some chatter in the in the the Facebook group, but we'll we'll find out. Or maybe <laughs> I, I could be wrong. I mean, I, I definitely could be wrong. It's just that that's what that's what the trend tells me. And then the other thing I point to is, you know, you hear about Fender and Gibson struggling, but you never hear about Daddario struggling. And they're a huge company, dude. People don't realize how big Daddario. Yeah, yeah. My dad grew up doing. I not grew up, but as I grew up, my dad was doing consumable sales, and I don't know. Makes sense. Why am I building guitars? I should be building strings or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, just uh, kidding. Talking to a couple string, string, small string guys. That's an ex- in, as hard as guitar market is to break oh, into. Man. Strings is even more challenging. I don't know how Gabriel um, does it. You know, it's 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 so many it's there's so many barriers there it's yeah. a, such a i got a lot of respect for that guy especially with trying to be as niche as he is mm-hmm. but yeah for sure yeah um we kind of went went all over the place but that's okay that's what we do here right that's what that's um, what podcasts are for 
That is exactly what podcasts are for. It's to aid everyone's ADD. <laughs> Let's try to try to. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I lose track of what I'm even trying to say mid sentence, like I just did right there. That's a good trait in a podcaster, right? Exactly. Exactly. Sure. Sure it is. What's your uh, What's your guitar rig look like when you do get to play these days? Um, it looks like me playing acoustic guitar and then going to bed. No, <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's about what it feels like. Um, right now, I just run a. Actually, I just finished a new board. It's got a whole bunch of mishmash of stuff. Um, Ooh, tell me about it, please. Well, it started with a donation creation board I got from someone. And being the woodworker I am, you know, he does like that. I don't know if it's like aircraft aluminum, like pre-bent aircraft aluminum stuff with like wooden wings mm-hmm. on the side. So I took the wooden wings yeah. off. I drew up a file on the CNC and actually made wings out of mahogany that matched two amp cabs that I made. So I did that. And then on that board is like a cheap fender tuner pedal. Cause that's what I have. I've got, man, I can't even like remember all the stuff that's on there. Some, it's like a swirly no name overdrive pedal. That's just like volume tone. It's super transparent. I like it. Um, then I have Catalan bread mm-hmm. pedal. I can't remember which one. I think it's like a Rolling Stones type pedal. I actually like that really a lot. Um, after that, I have a Fuzz. I can't remember the brand. I'm like visually trying to visualize the pedal board. It's so new. I don't have it memorized yet. <laughs> um, then after that, we're going to go over to um, a Boss DD7. Mm-hmm. And I just use that for some quick delay type stuff. And then after that, I go into uh, a Matthews Effects. Uh, delay I can't remember I've got like the cosmonaut and Mm -hmm. I want to say the surgeon I can't remember which one is which I always get the two like flip-flopped in my head the cosmonaut is like a um uh it's a Micah modulated reverb yep yep and then the the surgeon is like his uh multi like different modulation and stuff yeah so yeah, I think I go into the surgeon. Both good pedals. Yeah, seriously. I go into the surgeon, and then I go into the cosmonaut. And I think after that, I, I go into electroharmonics cathedral reverb. I think that's the big one with like all the knobs and the presets. And then right. There's a volume pedal in there somewhere up front, and then coming out of it, I just have like a looper pedal. And then that's about it. What kind of amp? Um, or amps you said cabinets so I'm wondering if there's multiple amps oh, there are multiple amps I have a collection the first one that I love the most for sure is the Benson Monarch we got for an amp last year in Walnut my man so that lives at the shop that's our shop demo amp and then at my house although I'm in a one bedroom apartment um, I do have two amps there I have um, have you ever heard of Blackheart amps yeah. So I got a yeah, black heart sure. handsome devil that I modified a lot. And then I made a mahogany one by 12 cab for that. And then I don't know, did grill cloth and everything. And then I have a fifties inspired, uh, tweed champ that I made the mahogany cabinet and the circuitry for. So I play through those two at home. Cool. So cool. Yeah, I forgot about the black hearts. Those are like a really popular, um, 
like modding platform from what i remember exactly and like a, I got, a lot of people mod the heck out of those yeah and the the natural overdrive tones on it are like because it's kind of got the the i want to say master volume and gain setting you can mm-hmm. definitely dial in some really nice overdrive tones or at least baseline tone that you can put pedals on top of and it's fairly transparent amp actually it's run el 84s um so yeah i really like that it's definitely got some tones where you're like meh but if you're willing to play with it it's one it's an amp with a lot of knobs so if you're willing to play with it you can definitely dial in some good stuff i just had this really strange flashback that i kind of forgot happened Uh-oh. uh because of, because of the black art um so I I there's there was a guitar store um that that popped up not really right in my neighborhood but on a on my drive to work. Uh this is probably like 8 years ago. Yeah. And I, I was like, "Oh, look, a new guitar store. I got to go check that out." Yeah. And I went up there randomly one day and I I just walked in the door and it was like very small. Like it was a very small like one bedroom, almost like an apartment type of thing. Yeah. But it was in this commercial space. Um, and I, it was like upstairs and on the top floor. And I, anyway, I just walked in there and I was, I was in there for a while. Hmm. I was in there for probably 15 minutes or so, just looking at what they had. And they had a black heart. That's why this is jogging. My oh my memory. gosh. That's probably the last time I played one. I love that. I was in there by myself. Like there was no one in there. I was just in the store by my complete, no sales guy, no nothing, nobody, nowhere. Oh my gosh. And all this, and I was like, I could have just like, I could have literally like just up and grabbed a ton of stuff. It was all kind of like lower end stuff, but it was, yeah, I I didn't want to do that. (laughs) I didn't even have the urge, but I thought it was strange because he just left me in there. And then all of a sudden, like I was getting ready to leave. I'm like, I, I don't know. This guy just walks in. And he's like, oh, hey, someone's here. I'm like, where have you been? <laughs> it's like, you know, like the door was even open. It wasn't like I had to open the door even. I just walked into the wide open door and the guy's like, oh, yeah, I just had to step out for a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, he 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 looked a little rough. Um, he looked like he had had a had a rough night or something. And and I talked to him for a little bit, but it was like clearly like that the guitar store basically didn't last. So sorry for that random story, <laughs> but that black heart just reminded me of that. I love that. Yeah, mine was a guitar center used find. I would say by nature I'm fairly frugal. Or I would say I'm a spender, but I'm cheap. But I still like nice okay. stuff. So um that definitely led me to building my own guitars. <laughs> So that makes sense, and that's that's why I landed on the black heart and modded that. I put like money into it, and like I said, it sounds great. It wasn't overly expensive. I definitely occupy a lot of the foxy tones, but other than that, I'm kind of a, more of an American voice amp guy. Right. I mean, you can't be too cheap. You do have a Benson. I do so. have a Benson. This is very true. I'm an unapologetic fanboy of the the Benson amps. I. I just I love them so much. They, Have you been to a shop? They, I, don't know, uh, I know Portland's a big place, and Oregon is an even bigger place. But have you gotten to stop by at all? Oh yeah, I I've been I go there quite a bit actually. Oh um, yeah. He, 
I, I like Chris and I have kind of a funny history sort of, um, he, I basically, he used to work at old town music okay. um, back in the day, which is my favorite local store. And I needed, I had a Fender 75. Well, I still have it. A Fender 75 head. I don't know if you know what those are, but, um, I'm guessing it's some kind of they're silver facey amp. It was like, um, it sort of, it's right after that era. It's like in the early eighties. Um, it was Fender's first like attempt at like channel switching and stuff. Oh, wow. it's some of the very, very last like hand wired Fender amps. Yeah. Um, and the thing with that was it sounded really good. Um, but only in one mode. So like if you dialed it in to get a good drive tone, it would sound horrible clean. And if you dial it in to get a good clean tone, you hit the switch and it would sound terrible as a drive amp. Hmm. So I took it to, to the air and I was like, can you fix this? It's like, it's not broken, but it certainly doesn't like, this is a problem. Yeah. And Chris was like, revoicing stuff is what I love to do. And while he was kind of, um, he, he did some mods on it, made it sound really good. And while I was pick was picking it up, he had the, like a very early monarch sitting on the shelf. Oh no. Way. And you're probably and, like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. I was like, tell me more about this thing. And he was like, that's my amp that I make. And you know, um, it was only probably six months later that I was like, I want one. And so I had him make me a, one and yeah, I've got a pretty early, I think it was like number 54 oh, wow. or something. So it's, it's a fairly early monarch. And from then on, he's always just been, my guy that's cool so chris is so we, awesome you know, he is he's so sweet he's, too. i i sometimes feel like I, people think i'm a benson shill <laughs> because i'm just always like the benson amps are the best amps because i really do think think that especially the vincent the benson vincent is the best amp ever i'm just here to say you that. know i really want to i want to get my hands on a, a vincent you'll want to play it I'm not just saying it because it's named after my son. I really do think it's the best amp ever. It's named after your son or your <laughs> son was named after the amp? Which one? Well, so <laughs> this is like almost turning into me talking when it should be more of you talking. But, that's true. Um, that's true. Uh, the, 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 everybody kind of knows this already, but for you, the, the Vinny, the, the original Vinny was, he built that. I asked him to make me an amp that looked like my Monarch for my son. Oh, no way. And yeah, he called it the Vinny um, because my son is Vincent. And that's where the Vinny came from. And no. then later, Chris and I. Yeah, totally. It's I'm so spoiled. And so is he. <laughs> so is my son. He has the best guitar rig ever for a three year old. Um, oh, man. And so he, he has the Vinny and like we just kind of brainstormed and like like thought that out. At first, I was just asking for a toy. Um, but then he was like, no, if it comes out of my shop, it has to sound good. Oh yeah. So we started actually like working on it. Um, and you know, he came up with the concept and I was like, what about an instrument level out? And he's, he was like, I think I can do that and made it happen. Fast forward that, that amp was, did pretty well for him. And then we started brainstorming something else. And I was like, you know what I really love? I love using the Vinny as a preamp. Hmm. I think it sounds excellent into whatever amp. I, I run it and it sounds especially good with my Monarch. Yeah. Like it, it's just awesome. And then that's where we come up with the, the Vincent concept. And we kind of threw some ideas back and forth. And he, once we solidified it, he just made it happen. And what? so the, 
Yeah, it's it's is literally my favorite amp. Dude. I think it's I think it's one of the best amps ever. Well, I'm gonna have to look into that. I'll have to give Mr. Chris <laughs> a call. Well, when you're, you should when your son is ready for a guitar, we do make short scales. We have a, oh, we have a he... Voyager solid body at twenty two and a half inch scale, and it's like the body it's scaled down in size and it's a little bit thinner. And um, we actually have a Catalina that's semi hollow as well. Mm, that's mini. That sounds awesome, right? I made. Just a few of those guys, but the guys who got them are just like, what? In a short scale? So. They sound. Uh, you're, you're tempting me. He's He's got a full scale uh, Epiphone, Les Paul. Okay. It looks kind of okay. like my junior. But um, I can, I can, yeah, we, we, we should talk about that. That could be a, a good time when he gets older. Yeah. And I think <laughs> another thing people don't know is we make baritones that actually bolt on to our existing standard scale guitars so i keep trying to convince someone to do it but nobody's done it yet because i want full guitars i'm like dude you can buy a baritone neck put tuners and a string tree on it and buy a standard scale neck and once you pop the strings off you can also pop the neck off and just swap so well now you're talking my language i love baritones yeah i didn't know i love baritones so much until like i got one here a year and a half ago okay okay but but I, I play that thing all the time. I don't know where where it's been my whole life. I didn't know what I was missing. Baritones are fantastic. Yeah, some guys don't know what to do with the the extra lowness, but other guys are just like, oh my gosh, that's, there's all that tone from my vocal range that I've never been able to find. And they pick it up, and obviously playing through the Benson just makes it sing. But what pickups? I like to use a lot of... What pickups? Yeah, what um, pickups in the range, or Sorry, baritone that you have. Uh, so I, it's my baritone is actually, was it a millimetric okay. or is a millimetric? Oh, wow. And he makes his own pickups. Okay. Um, so there's like a P90 style one in the neck and a, uh, humbucker in the bridge that are his own in-house wines. Oh, that's rad. Yeah. I, I, I like it quite a bit. It's, it's very, it's very comfortable and. It's very, uh, it's very gnarly when I, when I pummel it with fuzz like I usually do. Oh it's yeah, a good time. I, I'm like torn between the voicing on ours. So obviously, being a custom company, you can pick whatever pickups you want. But we've done them with wide range pickups, and that mm-hmm. to me gives you this crazy low end. It's like it's tight but really open at the same time, and then it scoops the mid range a bit. Um, and then the trebles on it are very transparent, but it's all really balanced. So it's really cool, but it's got a big boom. So if you're playing live, I might recommend going with something with like a thinner sound, maybe going like a underwound humbucker or like a P90 or we've done stagger swaggers from McNelly. Mm-hmm. Oh right. my gosh. And on a baritone, that was awesome. But I think for just like playing at home and you could probably fit it into a mix pretty well. The, the wide range is just, they make you happy. <laughs> you hear that lowness come out and you just get excited, you know? So. So one of the coolest things I've heard since speaking of the wide ranges, I have a, a tele custom that I really, really like. Okay. Um, and it played like, uh, well, it normally plays fine, but when I drop tuned it, like I think two, 
B2B. I can't remember. I dropped oh, it wow. down really far just to just to try it just because and that was before I had a baritone. Um, I was like, I want to mess with this. And it was with that in the middle position, the you know wide range in the neck and the standard telly bridge. That was one of the coolest sounds. It played like absolute garbage, of course, because oh, yeah, for obvious reasons. But it sounded amazing. So huh. I don't know. You might try try something like that. So if the if the uh, if the normal wide double wide range is too boomy, maybe try mixing it up with like a wide range and a telly. Okay. Uh, it sounded amazing. That's just my experience, anyway. Yeah. So my favorite position now that we're talking like pickups and I guess pick pickup selector positions on our guitars. I mm-hmm. I like both the bridge and the neck a lot, but I. I feel like our guitars almost shine the most in the middle position. You know how some guitars, you go into the middle position, it's almost like you got the okay sounds from both pickups? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just where we have them placed or what, but you definitely get the best sounds from each pickup, and then they get combined. And it's just like all these open dynamics that happen. And everyone who plays them, they like switch to the middle position, their eyes light up. It's It's fun to watch. And they're just like, what is this? <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. Random nerd notes. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag nerd. notes. Oh man. <laughs> that's all this is. Man, One big nerd time. note. Oh, totally. 100. That's all this entire podcast is. Oh man. Just a, just a bunch of nerds. It's wonderful. Yeah. Have you had any, um, anybody order a guitar or like inquire or, just somebody you've maybe ran into or had had dealings with where you were like, wow, I'm like really like your music. This is kind of trippy. Has that ever happened? Hmm. Actually, we grew up with a guy, Brian Samus. Um, I don't know if you ever heard mm-hmm. that name. He was the drummer for the neighborhood like a while back and he started doing some solo stuff, but uh, he's bought a few guitars from us and um i actually really like his music but other than that um not a whole lot we definitely get some pop artists i'm personally not a big pop person so my bias would be oh i don't like them that much (laughs) you know so but definitely a lot of worship players too would come through and come and get our stuff but yeah no, no one too crazy. I just had a. I got to build a guitar for. I just Dustin had a brain like Kendrew through like. I was gonna say. Yeah, that's that's where you're going with that. I knew you were. Through. I wasn't until I said it. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I forgot. I kind of forgot about it that we because we talked about it off the air, and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I do. I know there's somebody that you've done a guitar for. Yeah. I forgot. No, Dustin. I don't. I don't know him personally. I got to meet him one time, but um. We got to build a guitar through our shop, through someone else's brand that ended up going out to Dustin. Um, it was Casey Crescenzo's brand, uh, Cave and Canary Goods. And uh, they sent that guitar out to Dustin, and it was an awesome guitar, honestly. And, uh, yeah. I uh, I remember that guitar because um, one of my good friends and my, my drummer, he was like, hey, what do you know about this Cave and Canary Goods guitar and i said what are you talking about and he said well dustin dustin plays apparently plays this baritone and he showed me a picture of it and i was like yeah that guitar is gorgeous yeah so you built that 
I mean, Partially. it was designed. We, it was not yeah, designed by us. So Casey Crescenzo actually did his own designs. And then he, mm-hmm. I guess, in theory, contracted us to do the fabrication for the guitars. And then Casey would receive the guitars raw, or they just have a sealer coat on them, and he would do paint and final assembly. Gotcha. So it was a collab on that one. But uh, yeah, I'm stoked Dustin got it. I think Dustin's playing with like Ernie Ball or someone random right now. At least one time when I saw it. Yeah, it, it seems like he did get an Ernie Ball. Did he get a signature? I can't remember. I think he may have, but I don't know. Dustin will play whatever Dustin wants to play, because that's the way he is. That's true. <laughs> and I'll be fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Dude, that guy knows how to write music and stay on top of trends. Man, I just... He's evolved so much. I've never heard a musician that can evolve that much. I guess another one equatable would be like Casey Crescenzo of the Deer Hunter. But... Right. But yeah, good job. No, I, I agree with you. <laughs> good job. <laughs> <laughs> good job. I don't know if you're listening right now, but good job anyway. Oh, man. Um, if you are listening, it's a little embarrassing because I've gushed over your band multiple times and now I'm kind of, that'd be kind of weird. Um, but yeah, I'm a, they've been, they've been my favorite band since I was a teenager. Yeah. And a lot of bands from that era, to, speaking to what you said, a lot of bands from from that time in my life i still like them yeah but i don't like them as much as i used to and they have either caused me to evolve musically or somehow mentally evolved with me to where i just really like all of their output yeah um and i recognize that it's all very different from the thrice that i knew and loved but you're right they've evolved significantly and i think it's in my opinion been for the better oh yeah he's always like right on top of kind of what's new and up and coming or trending like if i were to describe it it's almost as if he's setting the trends um discreetly you know like i guess growing up people knew of thrice but unless you were in our kind of niche of music that we listened to like you didn't know of thrice but it seemed like where he would turn music was turning either with him or like right behind him so i i found it interesting and fascinating I would say that's that's pretty accurate. That sounds that sounds about right to me. Yeah. Thank um, you. I, I that's a very good good description. I don't and I'm not sure how he was able to pull that off. But. I know. That's that's why I resort on the thought of I guess genius as far as like writing genius goes, <laughs> but Yeah. Just ahead of the curve somehow. Yeah. Can you teach somehow, me how to do some that? Way. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. That would be nice. Oh, I've been in a songwriting at like rut and like I've been trying to pull myself out of it. And w- whenever I'm away from the guitar, I come up with these cool melodies or something. Yeah. And then I I try and I'll I'll try to work it out later when I get home. And I'm like, this is not working. Yep. What happened? Yep. What is going on? Ugh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. That's why I stuck with the guitar building. <laughs> well, I can't do that either. So I guess I'll stick with guitar podcasting. Podcasting. I guess. I guess. Well, we are getting close to the end here, and I have yet to ask you like the make it or break it question. Make it or break it. Um, Let's go for it. It's a big deal. I, you, are, you are sitting down, right? Um, I am. Okay, this might be a, this is a little bit of a heavy subject, but I, I think you, I can handle. I think you can handle it. Okay, what kind of pizza do you like? Ooh, 
Um, is it okay if I like multiple pizzas? I, oh, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, I would say pizza is great. You don't have to be monogamous. Pizza is great as a whole. Uh, I worked at Costco making pizzas actually for a while, so a Costco cheese pizza definitely hits home with its like mountain of cheese that they put on there. Um, mm-hmm. I would definitely go a meat lovers route with everything you can of red meat. Makes me happy. A little bit of my man pork or bacon on there or something. Um, a good combo or everything pizza definitely hits home. I think next, what would this be like? Fourth, kind of going in order. You like how cheese is at first. <laughs> <laughs> cheese is important. Cheese is very important. Um, and then I think the last one would be like a barbecue chicken pizza. Um, I always really like those with the onions and I forget what else they put on there. It's barbecue chicken, barbecue sauce for the sauce and onions and some other green thing. Usually I thought maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it kind of varies, but that's the basic, basic recipe. Sometimes I throw in some green peppers or something. Yeah. I'm a little bit weird with the barbecue chicken. Like it's, I, I, it has, it's good. It has to come from the right place. But, they have to know what they're doing. It has to come from the right place, and then it's not. It's never something I would order. But if I like was at somebody's house and somebody else ordered it, ordered it, I'd eat it. Yeah, and be be perfectly happy with it. Yeah. But it's not something that I personally would like order when I want pizza. Totally. If I want barbecue chicken, I'd kind of I would just want barbecue chicken. <laughs> you would go to a barbecue place. <laughs> right. That's kind of how I am with certain with certain foods. I'm starting to be a little bit less that way. Yeah. Like some people are like, I want a taco pizza. And I'm like, if I wanted tacos, I would go to a taco place. If I want pizza, I'll go to the pizza place. But, you know, I, I'm starting to loosen up a little bit. Gotcha. Do you uh, have a, like a crust preference? Are you like a New York style guy or what do you think? Um, I always forget what is what, but I like a nice medium crust. Sometimes the thick crusts are just way too much and a thin crust doesn't feel like pizza it feels like crackers and cheese so a nice medium <laughs> crust you know if you can imagine costco pizza crust thickness that's what i'd go for that's what i'd go for I, I gotta say like costco pizza and the hot dogs for that matter uh but the pizza especially is bang for the buck that is that is hard to beat like, seriously it's not it's definitely not my favorite pizza for me but for the money it is yeah there's not a comparable pizza that, that is that good, in my opinion. Yeah. We've done pizzas at Costco. We did it without onions. actually, Or no, without uh, the mushrooms. And it actually tastes mm-hmm. a lot better, at least at that time. And then I also almost got fired for making a custom pizza that I bought because it wasn't within, like, Costco guidelines. <laughs> oh, what? Isn't that... Tell me more about it. Yeah, so I, like... I, like took out some stuff in the combo pizza. I had like something I brought and put that in it and then sent it through the oven and I ate it. It was like really good. And then I offered it to someone in the break room. And then before I know it, a manager calls me into the office. I think it was more of a scare tactic, but I was just like, I almost lost my job because I made myself a pizza. (laughs) That's crazy. Like you made one that you yourself bought and they're like, no. Yeah. Which I get it. Like that's the whole corporate consistent, like, but it was funny. I don't get it because you, because it's not like I understand. I would understand if you made it for a customer. Yeah. That w- I, I, I totally get that. 
But if if you made it for yourself, I would say that should just be a perk of the job, especially if you paid for it. Yep. No. Nope. Like they were they were very like, strict of like I don't know how some kitchens are, but you can't eat anything like within the I guess cooking and food prep space. Not so much for germs, but because it would be quote unquote considered stealing, which makes sense. Like when you draw that line of like, oh, now you're stealing before you weren't. But right. Yeah, I, I figured it, it wouldn't be a big thing either. So hmm. shows shows uh, shows what I know, I guess. Yeah. But hey, Costco cheese pizza is still pretty good. Yeah, it is. For again, for the I'll preface Bang that for with the, the, for the price. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone comes close. I don't think even Little Caesars can get anywhere near there. Like Little Caesars is I'm just amazed that first of all, I don't think Little Caesars is very good. Nope. But I'm amazed that it you can even produce that much food for five dollars. Well, like regardless of quality. I'm just like, how did you make so much pizza for five dollars? Because it's this not is crazy. food. <laughs> you eat the bread, you're like, what am I eating, rubber? <laughs> But and again, like I've had worse food for five dollars, although it, I would I don't know. I'm not trying to defend Little Caesars. I'm just saying it's impressive, sort of. I don't right. know. Maybe I'm just eating pure chemical nonsense. But <laughs> that's well, that's to say that I eat Little Caesars on a regular basis. I haven't had Little Caesars in years. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably been like 10 years for me and I've had it like once or twice. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I remember when I was a kid, I thought it was good, but I didn't obviously know what I was talking about. Yeah, no. Because I was a child. A silly child. Oh, man. Well, that's it. Uh, this is probably a good place to wrap up. Where can people find you on the interwebs, and where do you want them to go? Uh, I want you guys to go to the Gram. Catch us on the Gram at Jennings Guitar Co. That would be the first place I would start. Um, JenningsGuitars.com is the website. Uh do have a YouTube page with some videos. I wish they were better and higher quality and had more of them, but that's what we got. We're working on more. And uh, yeah, Facebook. Facebook. Check us out on Facebook. And uh, <laughs> give me a call. I don't know. Call me. Ask me questions. I like I like talking to people. All right. All right. Perfect. Yeah. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, that seems like a good spot to wrap it up. So, you know, for Chad, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, there you have it. There's another one in the can. Chad was a great guy to talk to. We talked off the air quite a bit as well. He's a he's a good guy, and I think his guitars are super, super gorgeous. So do make sure and you head over to their Instagram to check that out. And a few little bits of house cleaning here. Um, I still got some Model 1 Germanium editions. I got, I think I got 10 available over there. And if you want, you can go to tonemob.com store. We've got three demos up. Um, and I think they show do a good job at showing the range of tones. And there's even an AB for... Um, for the silicone version versus the germanium, so you can get a feel for the differences there. But I'm really, really happy with how they turned out. I think this will be the final uh, Model 1 run for the foreseeable future. I really don't think we're going to do anymore because there's too many other irons in the fire that are coming out. So I, I think this will be the you know blaze of glory 
uh, Model 1. So if you're interested in those, go go check those out. And uh, yeah, I think those will get probably snatched up here pretty soon. And if you need a little more of this content in your life, don't forget about the Tone Mob Patreon. We put new episodes up there every week for the $5 and up subscribers. That's just $5 a month. I know the classic cliche is that it's uh, less than a cup of coffee, but it's true. So you get hours and hours of extra Tone Mob content over there for your ears. Some of that is extended interviews. A lot of that's been extended interviews lately. And some of it is me and my good friend Justin Porter. We tackle different subjects, uh, usually revolving around what kind of barbecue we were wanting to eat that day and what fuzz pedals we're playing. Um, but no, we did a reverb shootout. We've done uh, some. We've been really experimenting with what people want to hear over there um, in the Patreon podcast feed. However, there is, like I said, more traditional interview-based Tone Mob content in there as well. Every week, extra stuff for the $5 and up Patreon subscribers. So go to patreon.com slash Tone Mob to check that out and see if any of that works for you. And if it does, I really appreciate it. So until next time, I'm just going to leave you with the same request as always. Please share this with somebody you think will enjoy it. We're nearing episode 100, and I'm working really hard to try to secure uh, somebody super rad. We'll see how that works out. Well, all my guests are pretty rad. But I'm going to try to make episode 100 special in some way. Maybe it'll just be really long. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. But we're, we're getting really close, and that in itself is kind of crazy. But if you could share this with one person that you think likes it, uh, you know, plug it into Facebook, tell them in real life, anything. If you could just get one extra listener to this show this week, that would be so much appreciated because if there's no listeners, there's no reason for me to do it. So thank you very much, and I'll talk to you next week. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.